Hi there, I'm Matt Ashburn, host of the Needlestack podcast. Needlestack is brought to you by Authenticate, creators of the go-to online investigation platform, Silo for Research. If you're looking for a way to conduct research anonymously, protect against cyber threats, all while avoid tipping off your investigative targets, then you want to try Silo for Research. The Silo Research platform completely isolates your online web browsing, allowing you a choice of location and digital fingerprint, and also has built-in workflow and automation tools. The best part is that Silo for Research is software as a service, so it can be used from any computer or location without the need for things like virtual machines, standalone networks, or, or dirty networks. To learn more about Silo for Research, visit Authenticate.com. That's Authentic with the number 8.com. Welcome to Needlestack, the podcast for professional online research. I'm your host, Matt Ashburn, and personally, I think the dark web was far better than the dark web rises. And I'm Jeff Phillips, tech industry veteran and curious to a fault. Today is one of our special episodes of Needlestack, Matt, where we're going to take questions from our live audience, and then we're going to dig into our mailbag also for uh, questions that folks have been submitting uh, over the recent weeks uh, during our podcasts. Yeah, that's right. Each week we give you guys a URL that you can go visit to give us feedback and ask questions and all those things. So we appreciate everyone that has submitted a question so far. Um, and we've been focusing on the dark web for the past several episodes, and we've had a lot of great guests talking on uh, things like dark web research in general, communicating with people on the dark web and strategies around around that from protecting your security to communicating effectively and all sorts of other interesting topics. If you've missed those, definitely go back and take a look at those uh, really, really good stuff and great conversations. The dark web is one of those topics that really elicits a lot of fascination by people. There are hurdles to accessing it. Uh, you can't search for it like you would necessarily on the surface web. It's a, it also a bit... Uh, dangerous or mysterious to some people. And so we get a lot of questions on this topic. So we're excited to answer them. So let's hop right in. Jeff, what do you have for us? Well, we're going to start the first question we've got coming in here um, is, is one of those basic ones. And so this comes from our mailbag early on when we started the whole dark web series. But can let's revisit in terms of uh, they ask, how do I get access to the dark web? Pretty much one on one. Yeah, great question. So a very simple answer right to this is that anyone can get on the dark web. You know, you can download Tor. Uh, you can also pair Tor with, with Tails, for example. Uh, you want to have it inside of a, a VM for, for that isolation or something like that, right? Uh, but there are a few other things that you may not be aware of, right? So yes, you can, technically. There's really not a technical challenge to getting on the dark web, specifically Tor in this case. Um, but some other things you want to keep in mind. You want to make sure that you're authorized by your organization. Uh, you also want to make sure the organization ideally has some kind of access uh, a policy for the dark web or for research in general. Uh, also make sure that you understand what you're getting into. There may be content that, that's there that uh, may, uh, may be difficult to unsee, uh, may be objectionable. Uh, you also may be subject to drive-by malware attacks and, and other things, you know, fraud, bad actors, and other things that are there. So just be aware of, of, of those dangers and go into it with eyes wide open. Uh, or in some cases, maybe you want to close your eyes to some of the things that are there as well. 
sure. also understand that the dark web is not completely anonymous. So, um, you know, if you're if you're a bad actor, that can be uh, a detriment to to whatever you're trying to do. But to us as investigators, that can really assist us in our investigations. Right? We can exploit those uh, capabilities to de-anonymize uh, some of those transactions and uncover people. Uh, on on that note, a really good episode to check out would be episode 13. Uh, it's called Ready to Turn Out the Light, an intro to the dark web if you're looking for maybe more introductory level information on, on getting on the dark web. And I echo listening to that uh, to that episode because as you point out, anyone can go as simple as download tour and off you go, you would think. But there's, there's a lot more to it than that. So uh, a lot more important things to consider beyond just the technology side. So check out that episode. Yeah. Okay, um, our next question is in a similar vein regarding access, but I, th I think this is this is pretty interesting. Um, so my my company, the question is, or statement starts off, my company doesn't allow access to the dark web, um, but it would be valuable for my research. So can I access it safely from, safely from a personal device? What do you think about that? Uh -huh. So there's a bit of a caveat there. Uh, so yes, you can access it from a personal device, but can you do so safely? Uh, I guess it depends on your definition of safely, but in general, I would recommend against that uh, because of a number of reasons, right? Uh, mostly for your own security and your own anonymity and your own privacy, right? You're using a personal device for accessing something that may be uh, objectionable. Maybe uh, there may be content there that could be illegal in some cases. Uh, and you don't want to compromise that personal device with malware also that could be on the dark web. So uh, but just be cautious of that. You know, I, I, I would recommend against it unless it's maybe as a, as a last resort or something like that. Also keep in mind, uh, or, uh, as always, organizational policies, right, may, may prohibit that. So make sure you know your organization's policies as it pertains to using personal devices as well. Uh, but yeah, look out for yourself. Uh, look out for, for your own privacy and your own um, you know, personal safety as well. Um, and if you're doing it, do so one in in compliance with your organization's policy and also do it in a safe manner so so obviously the the previous answer as well right take all that into consideration to get on the, the dark web in a safe manner good stuff okay um i like this question um how do i know because we've talked a lot about the dark web through this this set of podcasts being a great resource but the question is how do i know if my company's being referenced on the dark web um if i can't access it so if i can't get access to it how do i know if there's stuff going on on the dark web related to my company <clears throat> yeah great question so um in in many cases you know when there is some kind of compromise of data the dark web uh, tour specifically these dark web markets that are out there they're often the first places that your organization's breach data can land, right? Uh, from compromised credentials, third-party leaks, ransomware drug listings, uh, ransomware uh, dump listings, rather. Um, it's also a source for invaluable threat intelligence, right? So, so getting um, information on perhaps pre-planned attacks or discussion around vulnerabilities and exploits, all those things, uh, those are, are very helpful. So you're right. Uh, whoever asked this question, you're absolutely right. You know, it, it is valuable to get on to tour, get on the dark web marketplaces and understand what's going on, what's being said about your organization or your company, um, because it is a good source of intelligence and also a good source of, of breached data as well. So um, as far as accessing it, you can certainly go do all that stuff manually. You can do searches and all those things uh, fairly routinely uh, on a periodic basis. Uh, that can get really old really quickly, right? So uh, also take a look at some of the threat intel platforms that are out there. 
Um, you know, there are also a number of other companies that are specifically focused on uh, on dark web information. So they'll essentially go, they'll scrape these markets, they'll take all the information, catalog it, archive it, index it to make it easily uh, searchable. Uh, you can even set up alerts, for example, for certain key terms. And if one of those comes up, you'll get an alert and, and you can be directed to to that source document. So uh, lots of those out there, uh, the, the, all the major uh, threat intel platforms that are out there uh, that are worth their salt also have something uh, similar to this, uh, some service like this, right? That's interesting. So uh, so it'll give you the alerts. You know, you can set in keywords. Um and, and then it'll alert you. And then you have to make the decision whether you're going to go and investigate it, I suppose. And I, you know, the other thing I've seen a lot of ads for now lately, um, not a lot, but a fair amount on the personal side uh, where people will go out and, and companies will do scans for your personal information is your own personal credit card or your personal email ending up on the dark web. So there are definitely, if you just Google that, lots of companies offering scans and monitoring tools um, to take advantage of. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Um, we had some really interesting guests. We we did talk a lot about marketplaces uh, and what's going on uh, across those different marketplaces. So this guest of uh, or not guest, one of our listeners has actually asked, um, "What are the top dark web marketplaces that are out there today?" Good question. So um, the answer for what's active today is not necessarily the answer for what will be active tomorrow. So keep that in mind. Um, the, the nature of, of dark net marketplaces is, is such that they will be shut down only to pop up somewhere else. Uh, so, you know, any, any kind of list that you see of, of dark web marketplaces will uh, change pretty frequently. So as an example, Alphabay uh, is a great one, right? It's a uh, focus was was focused on narcotics and cybercrime, um, probably the largest dark web marketplace ever. And it was actually taken down by law enforcement in 2017. But today it is actually back and better than ever, right? Or so they say. Um, the the number two admin uh, recently resurrected Alphabay, and, and uh, it's gaining uh, a lot of market dominance as other marketplaces are shut down. And the key um, uh, the key uh, benefit of Alphabay, at least from the criminals' perspective, is that it allows the use of Monero which makes it very difficult to track and analyze transactions rather than Bitcoin. Uh, it's much more difficult, if not impossible, to track Monero. A lot, it's much more privacy focused, right? Uh, and there's another, a number of other marketplaces that are out there as well, right? So you have uh, ASAP, Abacus, uh, Archetype, Vice City Market, Bohemia, um, and there are even some regional specific um, markets that are out there as well. So for example, uh, We the North only caters to customers in Canada so, so that, that may be of interest to some of the folks in the audience as well. Um, there are also lots of surface websites that are out there that profile all the various markets, and they also track takedowns and all those things as well. So an example of that would be darknetone.com is, is one of those sites that tracks that type of stuff. Good stuff. Let me, let me check here the, what our next question is. Well, you mentioned crypto, so let's go, um, let's go with this one. What the question is, what are the best tools to analyze cryptocurrency transactions? And the person mentions that I've, I've heard about uh, Chainalysis, but are there alternatives or different ways to go about analyzing yep. crypto? So Chainalysis is the one I was going to mention, uh, mostly because it's the heavy hitter that's out there, right? It's been used in lots of high profile investigations, and it's really changed the game in blockchain analysis. Uh, for a long time, people just assumed that cryptocurrency possibly because it's maybe complicated to use or, or required special tools or it's just kind of uh, obscure, 
people just assumed that it was untraceable, right? Uh, they, they assumed it was, it was anonymous. The transactions keep on, are not really anonymous. They're more confidential, right? And there's a distinction there that, that's important, right? Uh, because uh, in Bitcoin, for example, um, the blockchain is a public register of um, transactions, so you have the sender address, the receiver address, and the amount exchanged. And people just assume, oh, well, you know, it's not my name that's on there. It's just my, my wallet address. Well, over time, as, as we've talked about previously with, with other things related to Internet research, these little breadcrumbs over time can, can create a nice trail for somebody to uncover who you are and what you're doing. So the same is true for uh, blockchain analysis, right? Uh, you can take a look at that. Somebody can go take the, the, the blockchain, take that public register, and go analyze it, store it off, right? And so if you want to see who is transferring uh, data to whom or who's transferring money to whom, you can do that pretty easily. Uh, you can also uncover things like maybe maybe mixing and, and, and uh, essentially you know, laundering money through through a series of chains there uh, to try to, to obscure the, the source of the destination, right? Um, but as uh, yeah, certainly we've mentioned chain analysis there, even in the question, they're the big hitter, right? Uh, but as cryptocurrency becomes more popular, more tools are popping up. Uh, a couple of those, uh, True Narrative, for example, uh, Lex LexisNexis, ne Lex LexisNexis uh, they're offering. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, Crystal, they're geared towards law enforcement and financial services institutions. And also, uh, Coinbase Analytics is, is another one. They're also geared towards financial services and, and government customers, too. Um, keep in mind, some of these uh, services are built for e-commerce. Some are also built for financial services. So think lending, know your customer, anti-money laundering, all those different use cases. Good stuff. Well, we're kind of with our with our questions here. Um, crypto was definitely a popular episode. So, and you mentioned yeah. Monero. So this person asks, how how does blockchain analysis work from from Monero? If it's if it's private, what can you actually do here? Great question. So yeah, I, I did mention Monero earlier and, and kind of teased that it's a bit more privacy focused. Uh, so yeah, I appreciate the question uh, from from the person that asked that. Um, so because blockchain analysis has been proven effective in analyzing Bitcoin transactions, it's really helped to spawn uh, a number of privacy oriented cryptocurrencies like Monero is, is one of those. Uh, that are essentially untraceable, right? They, they're designed with privacy in mind. And you know, in simple terms, the, the details are obfuscated, right? You can't identify the sender and receiver addresses, the amount exchanged, the address balance, or transaction histories. Uh, that's because they use ring signatures, which groups the sender's address with other addresses that are, that are in play. Uh, and stealth addresses also allow recipients to receive funds without revealing the owner. Uh, which is which is good too, uh, from a privacy perspective, obviously. Um, also, transaction amounts are encrypted, so that, that's yet another step. So, uh, Monero is also fungible. Um, so, when you think of that, uh, their, their coins are not unique. Um, whereas, you know, if I pull out a dollar bill, for example, every dollar bill has a uh, serial number that's attached to it, and each Bitcoin, for example, uh, each Bitcoin's transaction history is logged into the public blockchain. So, Monero um, doesn't have those issues uh, from a privacy perspective. Um, all these uh, safeguards and untraceability have really made it uh, also very attractive for illicit activity. As many things that are starting out to be privacy focused, uh, criminals can also exploit that privacy focus as well. So some exchanges have actually banned it for those reasons, uh, making Monero uh, less attractive if you have uh, some hope there to exchange it for fiat currencies, right? 
uh, or, or to have just a widespread use. Uh, but but it is it is used on a number of dark web marketplaces. And uh, as with everything, you know, there's the, always that game of cat and mouse or arms race between investigators hoping to uh, crack its privacy or exploit some vulnerability in the system, uh, and also the whatever the next iteration of this is. Lots of lots of moving parts within keeping up with crypto and what's happening in that world. Um, okay, this uh, this looks like um, our last question, sir. There, um, we had one of our attendees ask is. Um, I remember this. There was a discussion uh, on one of the episodes around PGP encryption being used to securely communicate on the dark web. So the question is, what is PGP encryption? You know, how do you get it? How do you use it um, in terms of communicating securely on the dark web? Yeah, great question. So, um, so pretty good privacy. PGP has uh, been around for, gosh. I guess 30 years now. It was invented in 1991, uh, and it's the de facto standard for email security. Uh, it actually came up in our interview with investigative journalist uh, Eileen Ornsby and how she communicates with confidential sources, and, and including some that are on, on the dark web, right? Uh, it's important to note that uh, PGP, like all encryption, right, it encrypts the message and the content, but it doesn't make you anonymous. Uh, emails sent through uh, or PGP or via PGP encryption can actually be traced to a sender and recipient. So you see that sender A sent it to, to person B, um, but uh, the metadata is all there in the clear. So when I say metadata of the date time, the from, the to, uh, even the, you know, the IP address information perhaps may be visible, uh, as well as the subject line, right? These are all things that are on essentially the envelope of the message but the contents within the envelope are encrypted. So uh, don't put anything sensitive, for example, in the subject line. Uh, PGP works by a, um, a key that's generated by the sender and only used to send one message. That's the session key. Uh, the, ses the session key and the message sent um, uh, are sent to the, res uh, to the recipient. Uh, the message is protected in transit by the receiver's public key. So uh, the receiver's private key is really the only way to decrypt the session key and actually uh, view the message. Uh, anybody can download software, by the way, that does this uh, to generate your public and private keys and send PGP encrypted messages. There's also a ton of tutorials out there on YouTube and a number of other websites. So if you um, found that confusing at, at all, you know, definitely check out some, some really good guides that are out there on getting started with PGP. It's, it's stood the test of time. It's a great resource uh, and, it, and it's out there for you to use. And awesome. I think Matt, those, that was our um, last question. I yeah. think so. Yeah, I don't see any other questions popping in mm -hmm. here. Um, I do not. Uh, yeah. So, well, we appreciate it. You know, thanks for everybody who, who's uh, watching and listening. And we appreciate everybody who submitted questions today and, and any other time uh, that's been in the mailbag. So we really appreciate you guys tuning in as well. If you liked what you heard today, uh, as always, you, should, you can subscribe to Needlestack wherever you get your podcast. You can also watch episodes on YouTube and view transcripts and other episode info or send us questions if you'd like on our website, authenticate, that's authentic with the number eight.com slash Needlestack. And be sure to follow us at Needlestack underscore pod on Twitter. And we'll be back, of course, next week with more online research tips, tricks, and experts in the field in July. See you then.
Hi there, I'm Matt Ashburn, host of the Needlestack podcast. Needlestack is brought to you by Authenticate, creators of the go-to online investigation platform, Silo for Research. If you're looking for a way to conduct research anonymously, protect against cyber threats, all while avoid tipping off your investigative targets, then you want to try Silo for Research. The Silo Research platform completely isolates your online web browsing, allowing you a choice of location and digital fingerprint, and also has built-in workflow and automation tools. The best part is that Silo for Research is software as a service, so it can be used from any computer or location without the need for things like virtual machines, standalone networks, or, or dirty networks. To learn more about Silo for Research, visit Authenticate.com. That's Authentic with the number 8, .com.